Victor Maldrews of Great Britain and the rest of the world, if there are any listeners outside of Britain. And welcome to One Foot in the Podcast with me, Tom. Today I'm going to be talking about episode 5 of series 1, The Eternal Quadrangle. Apologies for not releasing episode 5 last week. Just hadn't had a chance really, despite the lockdown. Got a little one running around the house. It's very uh, tricky, even during these times, to get things done. Um, if you've got young kids, you'll know what I mean. It's not quite like Victor's situation when he had to babysit the two little lads uh, running right, but it's just still hard to try and get hobbies uh, done and stuff. I'm still working. I'm very much glad I'm working because um, if I wasn't at work at all, lockdown would be even even worse, I think. So I hope everyone's uh, doing okay during these times. If you're a podcast listener, you'll have many different shows you're interested in and i'm really grateful that you listen to this one i haven't got a huge listenership but i am grateful for those who listen i always make a point of showing my gratitude for that try and make my environment as comfortable as possible i got a pint of beer i got a little um bowl of salted snacks and i'm talking to myself essentially so yeah enjoy let's crack on with the show so we open up victor is in a what looks like a community center and he is carrying out, I assumably, a new hobby in live nude model drawing, the right term. Or drawing a live model, as it were. And he has a rather pushy art teacher, quite critical of uh, poor old Victor's attempt at sketching a live model. And this art teacher is played by Angus McKay. Now, he's obviously a seasoned actor of his time. And I recognise him from Only Fools and Horses uh, from the episode Frog's Legacy. And he plays a vicar. Plays quite a relatively important role, I'd say. Well, Fools and Horses tropes coming out there. So Victor is having his artwork critiqued, if you like. And I think it's quite harsh, really, how he's being coached into presumably a new hobby. He's taking early retirement and he's just trying to fill his time. What's interesting to note is Victor's quite quite embarrassed, really. He's more embarrassed than the model, that's for sure, who's led there naked whilst some art has been critiqued right in front of her. You see, if I'd wanted a pencil sketch of some heraldic beast suffering from various congenital deformities, I would have brought one in. You see what I'm saying? And got it to pose on the couch. Yes, I see, yes. You comfy there for a minute, Mrs. Leverett? Fine, thank you. I'm quite sure what they are, to be honest. <laughs> we don't ever get to see the drawing. I guess it's left to our imagination, which is probably part of the, the comedy, or part of the humour even. And it probably works in that regard, but I can only imagine how tusks for genitals would look like on a live model. So it's quite a short scene. The uh, actress, I'm not too sure, she's quite well known, I should have researched this, but her character name is Mrs... Molevera, Molevera, who is a model and it looks like early 50s, early mid 50s, seemingly has taken a liking to Victor. It's hard to know if she's taken a liking to him or just, you know, she's got a bit. One of the very few people seem to have some kind of respect for Victor because the people he encounters in life tend to, a bit like the art teacher, is quite pushy, quite judgmental, and she's taken some kind of fondness to him. This episode in a roundabout way, focuses on uh, love interests. And we get this a, a few times throughout the series. Now, the the model is stuck for a lift. 
So Victor's offered to take her home, which I'm sure is going to delight Margaret when he gets back. It's quite a short scene, like I said. Therefore, the scene cuts to the Meldrews' house. We've got the legendary staircase uh, view with Margaret. Looks like she's removing splinters from the staircase. I think they've had a carpet removed. And there's a fairly elderly gentleman, probably older than Victor and Margaret, uh, called Mr. Wharton, and he appears to be helping. Um, he's never referenced ever again in the series, to my knowledge. And they're de-splinting the stairs, if that's such a phrase. This gentleman will come to learn a little more about him as the episode goes on in regards to why he's got a little bit of a fascination for Margaret. Although I don't actually think we ever discover why. I think he's just a single lonely man. Anyway, Victor walks in, uh, back from his art project, or his uh, art course. Now, I watched this episode before I record... I always watch the episodes before I record a podcast, and I've just noticed, once again, I can't remember the original reason why, and I'm too lazy to go back and watch it. But as Victor's arrived back, he's got, like, his right index finger all bandaged up, and I don't think it's referenced why. It's one of the many mysteries about... There's always a little mystery about one foot in the grave. Little things never quite explained. I think it's one of Renwick's um, things, one of his... Uh, classic references I, I don't want to call it a quirk but something that's not quite doesn't quite make sense the only thing I can think of is he has just tried to he caught his he's caught his finger on a pencil I don't know it's, well, it's not re- it's not explained at all as ever a reoccurring theme here with Victor so he's walked in the front door and he's got a he's got some litter in his hand it's actually an empty empty cardboard box of Weetabix I say cardboard they're all cardboard aren't they not metal uh, so it's a very, like I said, every episode there's something about the litter in their backyard, and this time, it, yeah, it was a Weetabix packet found under the gooseberry bush. Victor comes out with a little sarcastic, humorous line in reference to finding the Weetabix in the gooseberry bush. He said, uh, I always thought that Weetabix were a result of sexual intercourse. Very amusing. So Margaret starts to query why has he tended this art session, or what, what is it he's drawn, and Victor already knows that he's going to get a little bit of stick. For um, you know, the live model element, the live nude model, I should say. Margaret's quite taken aback by this. Margaret does get, you know, jealous on and off throughout the, the series. Victor never gets funny about any exchanges Margaret might have had with a, with a man or close encounters. But Margaret very much does, and she certainly gets funny about it. A nice little continuity thing here where Margaret looks at the drawing and says, Why has she got tusks? Now, Margaret's quite astonished at Victor's drawn breasts. I suppose you had to draw her breasts in this much detail. Did you? What? You had to put breasts on her. But, but, but what was I supposed to do? Ask if she would mind slipping them off for a few minutes. <laughs> Victor always comes out with a fantastic, sarcastic response. and It's just brilliant. Delivery by Richard Wilson gets better and better throughout the show. I think it just as it develops, it just works should also highlight the fact that the telephone had, had rang in this scene, which will become part of the plot. Um, with the, as ever, something never, doesn't ever quite work for Victor. And this time it's the BT, classic uh, British telecom moan. And the way he answered it in that song, Hello! Hello! Very, very victory, victory, very Victor Meldrew way, which comes, you know, I don't believe it as a, catchphrase isn't used as much as we think you know things like what in the name of sanity and and if anything he doesn't always say 
the whole phrase of I don't believe it, it'd just be I don't be and the way he pronounces just the simple English word hello. Hello is still for me iconic as well. So they picked up the telephone, um, which seemingly no one's on the other end or they can't make end of tale. And that will become a little subplot throughout as well. So yeah, a bit a bit of digression there. Margaret, yeah. A little jealous that she he's gone and um not only drawn a live nude model who is you know, she assumes is younger than her, so insecurity flows. He's actually driven her home. Victor thinks Margaret's insinuating that he'd driven her home nude, which follows uh, Margaret storming out of the living room. Poor old Victor sort of left there to feel a bit guilty. So I think, you know, he's been encouraged throughout the series to come up with a hobby or keep himself busy. And, you know, what does he get in return? He gets a little bit of um, a little bit of stick from it, shall we say. But lead characters and not a lot of these sitcoms are often shy away from all, thing, all things sex. I can only think of, like, Basil Fawlty. To a certain extent, Norma, Stanley Fletcher in Porridge, Captain Manor in Dad's Army. They've all got that common um, theme going on of shying away from, well, all things sex. Saying that, I just thought of the top of my head now, episode much later on in the series with Barbara Windsor. She very much takes a fancy to Victor and it, we are led to believe that he... Not to start with, but feels the same. And with a bit of misdirection, we, we think that he slept with her, but that isn't the case. But he didn't seem as shy with her, but maybe sometimes he likes to lap up certain certain attention. I think he does relax a little bit. as this, Well, I'd not say he relaxes as he goes on in the series. I think with more of the ladies, or becomes less or more, more oblivious to certain attention, if you like. Explain in the last episode, start to see Margaret get more more and more frustrated with Victor. If if anything, she does get more irate in the in the show. Victor has many many moments of rants and raves, but half the time it's in response to a situation he fa- he's facing or however Margaret half the time is her rants are aimed at Victor and Victor only. She hasn't got a problem with the outside world. She's quite mellow with that, but it is it is he that she gets wound up about. So presumably it's the, the next day or further down the line um, in the Meldry universe and Victor's doing a bit of washing up and in comes a gentleman. Uh, we learn that is a carpet fitter and he has the sketch pad uh, in his hands and he's observing Victor's artwork and he's holding the sketch pad, um, this carpet fitter, and he's confusing a drawing of a bowl of fruit for a flamingo colony. Cleverly, at the end of the scene, we see the fruit bowl on the top of the TV set, and it's got either side the two uh, tall standing lampshades with the pink, with a pink shade on each, which is obviously included in the picture. Hence the confusion from the carpet fitter. Should point out that Margaret has now left the house to attend a f- ra- randomly. I just can't think for the life of me why, but a daytime fun fair with that. Old bloke from the first scene, Mr. Wharton. That's it. She's gone to the fun fair with Mr. Wharton. Come to think of it, I don't even know how she's met him. It's, it's not explained. One can only imagine it's perhaps someone she knows through work, but he doesn't look like the sort of guy or sort of person at work in a florist's. It's it's just simply not explained. It doesn't even look like the sort of person she'd mingle with. It looks like someone Victor would know if anything. He's this sort of short, seventy-something bloke like I said clearly 
or more than likely a widower, who just is looking for a bit of romance. And Margaret will not cl clock on to that. I'm not exactly doing things in chronological order here. It should also point out that Margaret is yet again snoopy with Victor because he's he's mentioned that he's going to be doing a bit of um, work for this Mrs. Molliver, the the nude model. So he's playing a dangerous game here uh, when, <laughs> because he knows that Margaret's a little shirty with him for even being in a company, uh, drawing her in the nude taken her home and now he's going to her house so either Victor doesn't give a crap which he tends to not give a crap throughout this show which is what we admire about him because he stands up for what he believes in or use that word oblivious again completely oblivious to the fact that th that is a reason why Margaret is upset with him it's, it's entirely her her problem it's for her to deal with but yeah he, he just wants to keep busy so he goes around arguably this is the best scene now we're met with the actor Peter Copley. He's been in a number of number of shows. He was in a Jonathan Creek episode, Renwick, remaining loyal to some of the actors throughout the series in One Foot, One Foot in the Grave, included them in Jonathan Creek. And yeah, we open up with Victor at Mrs. Molliver's home. He's going around with the vacuum cleaner. And in comes Mrs. Molliver's father, paid by Peter Copley, and he is also vacuuming. I'm not entirely helpless. I'm still capable. Who is this, anyway? That's Mr. Meldrew, Father. I'm paying him to clean up for us. He can sod off. <laughs> he's, he's probably the star of the, this episode, actually. Very, very sort of angry pensioner who refuses to acknowledge that he isn't quite up to... I say refuses to acknowledge that he's got, you know, a form of dementia. I'm, why would you if you're in that position? It's not made clear, actually, if he's got dementia, but he is not happy that Victor's there hoovering the house. Mrs. Molliver's father, as he was vacuuming, she switched off his vacuum and he was still hoovering. And he's sort of ranting and saying, you know, I'm not just because I'm uh, getting old a bit. I know you think I'm useless, but I can still do, you know, odd, odd jobs around the house and whatnot. So he switches back on the vacuum and he hoovers his wig off thinking that she's got a problem with his his syrup. And he proceeds to vacuum again. And Mrs. Oliver, rather bizarrely, asks Victor to switch his on, and they both start having a vacuum fight. It's very peculiar. Like, her father seems much more competitive, and he's hoovering the walls and the ceiling, and Victor's been encouraged to join in and gets a little bit messy. So yeah, she starts to... She, she gives her, her dad a little bit of cheek and says, you know, you can stick your contact lenses in and... You don't need to be helping out. We've got Victor for all this. And he storms off. He's obviously a proud man. He wants to keep busy himself. But similar similar to Victor, really. He looks about 10, 15 years older than uh, Victor. He storms out. So w once he concedes defeat uh, to Victor and his daughter, he says, you know, does a little, little exit speech. I'm going out now. I'm going out of this house. And I may not bother ever coming back again. Goodbye, Doreen. <laughs> That's the downstairs toilet he's walked into. <laughs> he's never got it right yet. Probably the funniest part of the show. 
And the fact he remains there for the next few minutes is just comedy. Comedy gold. He's probably in there wondering, what the hell am I doing in there? You know, if he's got a form of dementia or something... We... I got I got relative with dementia and it's, it's hideous. It's, it's really sad. But in the comedy world, you can laugh at a situation like that. It's why it's comedy. It's, it's not being mean, I don't think. I'm, I'm justifying this a little bit too much here. But it is... It is amusing. That's definitely the best part of this episode, that little simple mix-up. We head back to the Meldrews, and classic staircase camera camera view. Margaret's returned from the fun fair with Mr. Wharton, and he looks like he's won a huge inflatable banana. I think just for visual comedy effects, it's just to show that they've had this grand day out. At this stage, when we, it's become obvious that Mr. Wharton has taken a liking to Margaret, but it's not clear if this Mrs. Molliver has taken a liking to Victor. If she, if it is, it's very subtle. To, well, very subtle to the viewer because she hasn't she hasn't really given the eye like Mr. Wharton does to Margaret. There's no sort of flirting or anything like that. Only anyway, Margaret heads upstairs and she finds the carpet fitter asleep on the floor. Scene ends. Cuts back to Mrs. Molliver's and she gives. Victor a pay packet and invites him back for some more work. Yeah, so she asks Victor back for another little job to come back on Friday. And he's he looks a bit hesitant. Switch straight back to the Meldrews. And this time Margaret sat on the sofa looking a little edgy about things. I think she needs to break the news to, to Victor that their carpet fitters, in fact, fallen asleep on the landing. In come a Victor rant. This is why this show is just fascinating and ridiculous all in one. This carpet fitter has decided that it's not only okay to fall asleep on a job, which would only happen to Victor, and it's it's just madness if that was to happen in real life. He's moved himself into their bed. Not just on the bed, he's taking his jacket off, he's under the covers. For, for the first few moments, Victor and Margaret are whispering and they're too concerned at waking them up. This happens again, actually, later in the series with a, a rather funny mix-up with an elderly lady who the ambulance service drop off and Victor ends up in bed with her, but that's for another time. Yeah, Victor is, like you would be, absolutely dumbfounded. Quite a little funny one-liner, Victor says. Always the sarcastic response. It's very, very clever dialogue. But Victor is the one who actually discovers the carpet fitter in bed. And he um, comes back downstairs and he said, when he says to Margaret, you know, come to bed. Margaret says, what do you mean he's come to bed? And he says, I mean, he's creosating a rhinoceros. What do you think I mean? Such a creative and bizarre response from Victor, but it, it simply works because, again, the delivery by Richard Wilson is marvellous. I actually feel quite sorry for the carpet fitter because he's very, very apologetic and he's clearly got... I think it's narcolepsy, isn't it? But, um, yeah, he's very, very apologetic. And I, Victor's bashing around with the inflatable banana, which soon becomes deflated, again, for visual comedy effect, I imagine. I don't know if that was an, a mistake or not, or an accident. Some, some actors just go along with um, certain things like... Victor bashing him with a with the inflatable balloon, which does become deflated. But uh, like I said, it doesn't matter. They just carried on with it. So quite important plot uh, point here. Because they're having new carpets fitted throughout the house, it's a perfect reason to put the double bed in the living room. God knows who's moved that down there. I mean, they're in their early 60s. It's quite a... I'll say a bed, bed's come apart, I suppose. But Margaret's setting up there, temporary combination in, in the living room that will fit with the plot quite well shortly now victor uh, is in the kitchen with margaret margaret's just received some flowers from mr wharton and it's she still at this point doesn't realize that he fancies her a bit like how victor probably doesn't realize that mrs 
Molliver has taken a form of liking to, to him, even though it's n- not nowhere near as obvious. In reference to the flowers, it looks like Victor's about to get a, well, shown a, a, a form of jealousy here. And you think, oh, blimey, he's actually opening up to or acknowledging the fact that he's got a bit of competition, thus showing a bit more interest in Margaret. But it quickly established that he isn't jealous. He's a little funny that the fact that this Mr. Wharton is a better gardener than he. That is what he is more <laughs> more interested in, not the fact that he's, his, his miss has been sent flowers from another bloke. Totally oblivious, that word again. So anyway, uh, Victor leaves uh, in a bit of a huff just after answering the telephone and no one's there and he lets out his hello uh, rant uh, down the line. He leaves the house and Margaret's left there looking through Victor's jacket and she finds something that horrifies her quite frankly and it adds to the plot somewhat not the pl- it's not really adding to the plot it's add- it's adding to her well adding to her displeasure at Victor's behavior shall we say Victor returns scene is o- over in a few seconds the Victor returns he's he went out to a phone box to make a call to BT to see if they can get their line fixed and I think this BT a British Telecom I mentioned probably solely so that David Renwick, who emits a lot of his angst about society and the things that go wrong in, in life, he's put into a lot of it that energy into Victor as a character. And I swear it's just to have a winch about British Telecom because we've all... British Telecom, the, the, one of the largest, if not the largest or the biggest telecom provider. And it's we've all had a, a winch. Every British person has a moan about British Telecom. So it's one of those things that has to be done. Meanwhile, Victor's justifying why he's got to go to Mrs. Mulliver's house. He doesn't... He's not exactly tactful with his wordings or his reasonings, especially when he says she just desperately needs a man's body. Could have worded that better, Victor, considering Margaret's jealousy. So the scene is now back at Mrs. Mulliver's. She's... Cabra's focused on her. She's sketching, we assume, Victor. And she's having a little chat about her dad and saying how he's in denial about his ability... Um, it, the, cam- the camera then focuses on Victor, who's sort of upside down in a, in a crucifix position. <laughs> Just hilarious. He's topless from the waist up, shall I say. And he's very politely saying, you know, he's very polite about what he's having to do. You know, blood rushes to his head and feels like he's going to faint. As he is standing on his head, he says, Would you th- politely, do you think, what if I st- stood upright and you turned the painting upside down? You know, why not? But she says, like many artists would say, it doesn't quite work like that. So her father walks in, uh, still still upset with not being the man of the house, as it were. So the, the father quips that he's going to get his gas mask. And his, his daughter says, so whatever for? He goes, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to send someone over to exterminate me. So he's very, very resentful still of the fact that there's visitors in the house. Turns to Victor, who's still upside down, head head on the chair. He just says quite a simple line, uh, already full of resentment for Victor as it is saying, I could have done this, you know, I could have done this standing on my head. These are quite short scenes in this, in the, in this episode. A couple of minutes of time, if that. Uh, now Margaret is in Mr. Wharton's car. They've come back from, I don't know where they've been. I can't remember where they said they were going. I think it was just to visit him. Yeah, I don't know where they've been. Margaret's obviously befriended him. Whether it's out of sympathy, I don't know. I thought we should know, actually, I said earlier that Victor poorly phrased the term, she just wants me for my body, but it is, he did explain before that that it was another model job. And when he did come out of the line, she wanted to just use me for my body, he did have a look of horror on his face. So he did actually acknowledge, um, when I just watched that back then, his mistake, or his little error, his bumbling error. So yeah, yeah, Margaret is in the car with Mr. Wharton and she starts to confide in him about is it too old to have an affair and you know what if you find something out about your partner that makes you unhappy and 
This is putting ideas into Mr. Wharton's head. Hence the comedy confusion. He thinks he's in there. Um, he's lining himself up to uh, go in for the going for the kill, if you like. And she shows him what this mysterious item she's found in Victor's jacket, and it gives Mr. Wharton even more reason to you know think he's in with a chance. I think it's pretty obvious at this at this stage. It's a packet of condoms or an empty packet of condoms. So yeah, she invites him back in for a cup of tea. I should point out that it's 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 quite a bizarre time because it's hard to say what time of day this is because. It's daylight when she invites him back in. Even if it's the summer's evening, she invites him back in. He sees the bed in the living room now, and she goes off to make a cup of tea, or she goes upstairs to the toilet. And he just... Quite quite confident elderly gentleman there. He strips off and gets in the bed and waits for Margaret. Meanwhile, we see Victor making a cup of tea in the kitchen, hobbling around, clutching his bum cheeks. Obviously, he's been standing on his head for most of the day. And he's in his dressing gown, and it's, he's making a cup of cocoa, actually. I can see a cup of a cocoa pot in the foreground. So this is, you know, this is past at least 9, 9.30 in the evening. I don't know what the... They've either gone to bed extremely early, or Victor's been in that house without realising Mr. Wharton's there the whole time, and he's just been in the kitchen, or been upstairs. A little inconsistency there with what's going on and when. So anyway, we see Victor... <laughs> looking through the serving hatch between this. It's quite a funny visual. There's these books piled up either side of the serving hatch and it Victor's head pops through and you can just see Mr. Wharton laying in bed. And of course, Mr. Wharton has got absolutely terrified of what he's just seen. The fact he's seen Margaret's husband is, is in the house and poor Mr. Wharton is let out of bed. He's completely naked. He's got a bed sheet covering him. In comes a Victor Rance. House Limited. <laughs> yes, we are taking bookings through to the end of April 92. How many pillars would you be requiring? You know, we've had the carpet fitter already lying in his bed, and now we've got Mr. Wharton, and he's going off on a rant. Poor, poor Mr. Wharton's trying to gather his things, and he scarpers. Part of Victor's rant, sorry, just to go back uh, for a moment, he said, um, you know, when he's saying, anyone else want to slay my bed? You know, carpet fitters. Then looks at Mr. Wart- Mr. Wart- uh, Mr. Wharton and says, Boris Yeltsin. He's referencing Mr. Wharton looks like Boris Yeltsin, a former Russian president, but I don't see it myself. Other than the fact that he's got white hair, but Mr. Wharton in this is mostly bald on top with a moustache. Looks nothing like Boris Yeltsin, so I don't quite get the the reference there. But there you go. Victor continues his rant as Mr. Wharton leaves the house and he's picked up the telephone pretending to speak to someone, uh, saying, you know... If anyone else likes to come and sleep in my bed, um, we've now got a vacancy. Mahatma Gandhi's just leaving, so he's he's compared him to both, well, two completely different individuals uh, in one setting. They move into the kitchen, and Victor's still hobbling. He's he, he's struggling to sit down. Margaret confronts Victor about the uh, jacket, and yeah, he's explained that it's yet more litter found in the garden. All is forgiven, it seems, as we're moved up to the bedless bedroom. And I think Mark, uh, Victor's going to be lying on the solid floor for the night, given he's done his back in. And Margaret's, you know, giving him a kiss and a cuddle. And they're smooching right up against the window. For some reason, there's no curtains. I don't know why they're taking the curtains down to uh, have new carpets, unless they're you know, extra long curtains. don't know. But when I watched this back, I was thinking, why, why do they keep referencing the telephone line not working? And I, I, all I can fathom is it was all set up so 
this final shot of Victor and, and Mar uh, Victor and Margaret stood by the window smooching. You can see a telecoms engineer looking through, just casually looking through as he's up a ladder, fixing the line. And which it's going to upset you, isn't it? You're going to get a little bit ranty. Victor rants at him. What the bloody hell do you think you're looking at? What do you think this is, an aquarium? And what sort of time do you call this anyway? Ten bloody days you were supposed to come and do this. Ten bloody days ago you were supposed to fix this thing. It's like a constipated gerbil. Every time you pick it up, you can't hear a bloody thing. You stick him a pole in this bloody he says, 10 days ago you're supposed to fix this phone and this guy's just still looking through. If it's me, if it's most of us, we'd you know, quickly look away and apologise and get, you know, carry on. But uh, no, that is the end of the, the episode. That's episode five done. One more to go until we, till we, till I complete the series. And wow, I'm looking forward to moving on to series two because I think the series one syndrome... Uh, it does occur for a lot of comedies. It's, it's always a little slow character development. Um, it certainly gets better and better. Um, I still rate all these episodes. I still enjoy, you know, being a huge fan. I I can I can watch these back with great joy. Anyway, it's not. I never avoid watching series one episodes of my favourite comedy series. But I am pleased to be progressing through these episodes now. So just one more to go, um, and that is the return of the speckled band. Which will be yeah, final final episode. I look to record that um, by next weekend. Now it's that time of week for a Mel Drew Moan Corner. Oh, I do not believe. Will you look at this? Bastards! Can you believe the nerve of this? I've skinned their ruddy heights for them. Thinking long and hard about this. Just so hard. So hard not to, to moan about coronavirus and what comes with it and, the, you know, how society reacts to things. All right, given it's going to be coronavirus related. Social distancing. I'm going to moan about social bloody distancing. There's certainly a need for it, whether you're sceptical skeptic, of um coronavirus or not and when I say sceptical I mean it's origins of where it came from man-made or from livestock and the fact that you know no one wants to catch flu of any kind let alone this latest strain of coronavirus and social distancing we in a roundabout way we experience that throughout throughout seasonal flu anyway if you if you're if you are in a job where half the officers come down with a bug, you stay away from them. So I totally respect social distancing. Social distancing. Easy for me to say. <coughs> so what's annoying me is if I go if I go shopping for my essentials, uh, supermarket workers, as heroic as they are, for the enormous pressure they're under to put the stock out on the shelves, there's a few who aren't respecting the social distancing. Um, and I don't mean they're getting too close and too personal with shoppers, which they are in some regards. And sometimes they're already there putting stock out and it's the customers that go near them. But it's the case that the workers are casually socialising together down aisle four, right up close. And I think it's an element of complacency with that. Because <clears throat> I think they're thinking, well, we're working with, the, we're working with each other anyway. 
you know we, we're all at home isolating and you know it's okay to be around our loved ones because if we've if we've all got it we've all got it but if you're working with a colleague there's no reason to be up close and personal part two of my rant is you get your hour of exercise a day you head out and you obviously get everyone or a lot of people on their bikes and running around it's just fine the beef i have is where i live there's a quite a nice park cycle path and cycle and public footpaths all across the middle of the park and people are seeing friends out and about or neighbors and they are keeping their social distance two meters whatever it is away from each other but they're stood on the edge of the path so the rest of us have to walk through the middle now we could just walk around them onto the grassy knoll quite often the wet grassy knoll wet and muddy and even more annoying if you ha- if you're pushing a pram like my uh fiance or, or i are doing at the time with with the dog it's not it's not exactly too much of a strain but it's just, i think it's the sheer arrogance of it if you're talking to a friend out and about get on the same side as each other you can still social distance you don't need to use up half the path also people are looking at you like you're a zombie if you if you know i've got a if i'm clearing my throat out and about which doesn't happen that often the looks you're getting from afar and i'm talking from like 50 yards away and they're probably thinking why why are you out mate but you know i haven't got coronavirus i've had a cough it's not persistent i'm not feverish to explain myself now i'm just walking the dog or taking my little one out in a pram just so she can get some fresh air if my missus is busy doing other things so yeah that's my rant it's not exactly thought-provoking rant i know it's it's hard to come up with things to whinge about at a time like this which ideally would be positive um i was going to rant about the 5g technology because i see lots of masks going up now and i see uh, it's affecting wildlife and nature in general you'll be able to see for yourself online you know if it's not just conspiracy talk well it could be deemed as that but it's genuinely having an effect on our wildlife and experts in the field of technology and in the health industry will you know they're quite concerned with um what this could do so that might be another rant a rant for another time anyway i'd just like to thank you very much for listening uh i do love doing these shows and i'm so grateful for those who take the time to listen to this one man show if like i say it's every week but do email one for the podcast at gmail.com drop me a tweet at one foot in the pod help me out you know there's, there might be something i'm doing wrong i might have, i might have uh given i'd like to think i haven't but i might have given the wrong information about an episode have your say i'd love to i'd love to for you to get involved yeah that's about it really till next time uh like i said i aim to get episode six out by the end of next week but yeah just um try and enjoy yourselves in the, during these times of uh unrest and uh, enjoy any whatever podcast you, you may be listening to I would really, really appreciate it if you if you know anyone who is partial to a podcast and enjoyed One Foot in the Grave, send this on to them. Um, I'd, I'd I'd love I'd love to hear if if you've done so. And yeah, as ever, any feedback you've got, excellent. All right, take care. Until next time. One foot in the grave.